Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. I hate to say it, but what's going on on the media front has a profound impact on your business, your life, your, your prosperity, your mental health. A lot of different fronts, and that's why this program does so much focus on the issue of the media. And one of my favorite people to talk to about this is my guest this segment, uh, David Dozier, who uh, was very busy in the latter part of 2022, and we heard very little from him, which uh, was disappointing because I always enjoy spending time with him, and glad to have him back, and we're looking forward to having him back with uh, regularity again. David, welcome back to the program, PhD in journalism, uh, former professor at uh, at uh, San Diego State University, which is a beautiful uh, campus, and uh, really glad to have you back on the program. Also an author of a very interesting book that uh, is uh, fiction, but reads like pure true crime. Uh, talk a little bit about the book before we get into our topic and how people can learn more about you. Well, I, I have a, a website, daviddosherbooks.com, and uh, if you want to take a look at uh, some of the stuff about me, it's uh, it's all there in black and white. Uh, the book here, uh, uh, that Kevin's referring to is a book called The California Killing Field, and it's about the death penalty and the way in which uh, the mass media, news media, can be manipulated uh, by people who understand how the media work and how you can actually uh, go about uh, creating um, uh, creating uh, a set of opinions um, uh, by uh, manipulating uh, information, misinformation and disinformation, and it can have a profound effect on uh, what people think and what they consider important and how they feel. Yeah, absolutely. And boy, let me tell you, money can help buy the justice you want. <laughs> it really can. And uh, it's a lot of interesting stories there. Very, very important book. People need to check that out. Let's talk a little bit, though, about uh, George Santos. I hate to be part of a broken record. It's probably one of the most covered stories, uh, second only to the Chinese spy balloon. <laughs> I'm just joking, but but George Santos was a big story and continues to be a big story and something new every day from what I can tell. Um, but what I want to focus on is that there's a lot of conversation in the media about uh, about how the media dropped the ball when it came to vetting this guy. Um, and, of course, all of the media really hyper-focused on New York's failure in this front. There was a tiny little newspaper where... Where he lived that uh, tried to hold him accountable and, and talked about many of these stories. Um, but, uh, but you know, how many people were reading that newspaper? Apparently not enough to keep him out of office. And, uh, but, but they were very explicit, and they were frequent in their coverage. So I give them props. But, you know, the media has been talking about this dropping of the ball, but not how it happened. I don't know how you, you pr- prevent this from happening again until you have that conversation, David. Well, I, you know, you're exactly right. Uh, the media, uh, news media, did uh, did drop the ball, uh, and uh, there are a number of reasons I think why why that happened. But uh, 
uh, as part of our uh, conversation today, I do want to talk about uh, really the uh, uh, devastation of uh, newsrooms in both print and broadcast. Uh, uh, my favorite line is is that you can't perform the watchdog function if you don't have any watchdogs. And I think that of all of the factors of why uh, the news media dropped the ball, I think that uh, uh, the decimation of newsroom and just the fewer number of reporters out there now uh, uh, doing the legwork and checking on these stories is a big part of why why this happened. Yeah, I, I uh, spent much of my life in a town called Abilene, Texas. I went to school at Abilene Christian, but I moved there as a teenager with my family. And, you know, that was a, they, that was a town that now has about 125,000 people. Not that small of a town. In fact, in many, many states, it would be a top 10 city, but it sure has a small town feel, uh, for, you know, by, by choice. Uh, in fact, in Wyoming, it'd be the largest city. <laughs> but uh, I, I look at I look at uh, that city, and if you go to its website, the Abilene Reporter News website, and it's got USA Today branding all over it. It is a Gannett publication, and you've got that phenomenon happening at local newspapers all over the country. And then you've got. Uh, these uh, investors who buy these publications with no journalism experience but only think about making money. And in both cases, they really take a draconian approach to the budgets of these newspapers um, in terms of local coverage. Why? Because local coverage is really expensive, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, when uh, the... uh Internet uh, disruptive innovation uh, clobbered uh, the uh, news media. They just lost an incredible amount of advertising revenue to other other uh, aggregates. Uh, and as a consequence of all of that, if you not, don't have revenues coming in, where do you make the cuts? Well, labor is one of your biggest costs, and uh, a lot of the folks that buy out newspapers that, as you mentioned, don't really have any uh, experience with it. Uh, with journalism will basically do the classic uh, uh, cut staff by uh, a third and tell the other two-thirds that they have to work harder, they'll be gone too. And uh, you just see that all over the country on uh, on, uh, community newspapers and uh, uh, small and medium and even larger markets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would say 70 to 80% of Abilene Reporter News is uh, made up of national wires. Why? Because even your local news has tons of national stories, which makes zero sense to me now, <laughs> to be honest with you. We're not really, you know what I mean, there's so much other information where we can get, get the national stuff. Well, it makes sense from an economic perspective because it's cheap to make national news uh, if you're having it printed all over the country or posted all over the country. Uh, and a big portion is directly from the horse, horse's mouth. Uh, take uh, Hardin Simmons University, one of the colleges there in Abilene, whatever they propagate. I don't think there's a whole lot of betting about, uh, you know, how the uh, HSU Cowboys actually did. Did they really do that well? Now nah, we'll take their word for it. There's a whole lot of that, though, in news-type stuff, you know, and because they don't have the people to really check into these stories. And so it certainly does add up. But another aspect of this, 
And it really talks about the competitive nature of newspapers. And I think the economics of uh, journalism has forced them to be even more territorial and competitive in, in an unhealthy way. Uh, it's the fact that you did have a little publication uh, in the district that did great expose work that everybody essentially ignored everybody. Just the inflammatory nature of it should have made it a hot story at, uh, at the New York Times, what was going on with Santos and what was being covered. New York Times apparently yawned. They wanted to do other types of stories. And there were a few publications, by the way, with the resources to do that kind of work. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know if there's this a fundamental disrespect, maybe because of the economic transformation that you were talking about in these small newspapers, um, in, among the larger publications towards them, uh, and these big publications aren't going to have a beat, they should really be trusting their smaller uh, colleagues to, to be that beat, to at least pr provide uh, attention to stories that deserve more coverage. What do you think about that? I know that was a big spill. But I think you get the gist. Well, I think that I I I I know where you're coming from. I think, uh, and I think that uh, that uh, the way in which uh, media compete with each other uh, uh, isn't always uh, healthy. But I I'm going to get back on my horse and say, what, you really look at what's going on in these markets. You kind of have to look at the. Uh, economics of uh, of uh, journalism and you know ad revenues uh, allow you to have a reporting staff and if your uh, ad revenues have uh, uh, dropped then you have this precipitous drop in the number of people available and uh, for better or for worse uh, it, you know the the watchdog function requires watchdogs you got to have people out there uh, who are covering the news that you know, aren't working as public information officers or public affairs officers for organizations. And uh, I think that's another thing that happens when uh, you have a staff reduction is that you start taking news releases from PR folks uh, and doing some minor editing and running it uh, because you don't have the resources to go out and do uh, the kind of digging that um, a story might might require. So you get this uh, bias towards institutions because they're the folks that can afford to have uh, a professional staff of communicators that can uh, package information about the organization, but it's all it's all going to be good news stuff, um, and that develops, I think, a kind of uh, laxness in terms of going out and doing the digging because you just don't have the time or resources to do it. Yeah, and I still I I, I think the two don't I don't think there's any tension between what I'm saying and your sense. What I'm saying is both should have been done. I'm saying that the little publication whose name slips my mind that did, you know, burst the story out there only did it on their website in their newspaper from, from what I can tell. They should have been heavily sending that to New York One, to uh, the New York Times, so certainly the New York Post, although being a, a right-wing rag these days, I don't know if they would have done any, anything with it, although they love a good scandal. Um, but from what I can tell, they did not. They didn't go beyond themselves to try to get it out there, and it doesn't take that much work. I understand the, the problem with resources, uh, but this was, you know, press release worthy. If they, if they alone weren't uh, naturally building that momentum, and then again, the New York Times, which I think was the only. I think I already said this. The only major publication that didn't cut jobs. Uh, we do a weekly series with the Washington Post. They they cut jobs there. New 
New York Times, I think, is the only major publication who hasn't had to do that yet. To me, there's either too much territorial attitude going on, or there is too much disrespect between the different media or something. But there was a ball drop between that little local paper and the larger media around there that should have been interested in it just in the bizarre nature of the story. Right. And I'm just speculating here, but I think that it was uh, for a lot of uh, uh, folks, uh, certainly initially as the story broke, was that it was so fragmented um, that a lot of folks said, well, he didn't say something. that wasn't true. He didn't go to that high school. And then somebody else would be talking about some other aspect of it. And it was, you know, connecting all the dots that was uh, the challenge there. And that's where the ball was dropped. I think the, uh, going from the local level to the national level, which it should have because of the egregious nature of the things that he was lying about. But there's also, I think, as you indicate, there's a, a bit of territoriality going on here, and uh, uh, that that's that's not healthy. Yeah, I think you know fundamentally, the big boys at the Times may not really respect the local, you know, uh, local quote rag. Not saying it's a rag; it certainly wasn't. It's the only one who got this story right. But it's that whole uh, superiority attitude that, particularly newspapers of records that are actually local newspapers but do things so thoroughly on a global and national perspective that they're beyond a local paper. Uh, but all those that we call, with the exception of Wall Street Journal, a news, newspaper of, of record, really are local papers. Man, New York Times really dropped the ball on this, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think of the uh, incredible stories that they have and exposés they had, where they took a little lead from a little person who – led to something blowing up, I mean, this is like low-hanging fruit when you look at it. Yeah, well, it, it's on, it, you're absolutely right. The big, the big boys dropped the ball, and uh, they should have, done a, uh, should have done a better job, and I think that you may be onto something there that uh, may be a strong disrespect for what's going on at the local level or, or paying attention to it. Uh, I think, you know, if you respected it, you'd probably attune to it, and if you saw something that seemed interesting, as this story seemed um, interesting even in the early stages, there was certainly... Uh, something interesting about uh, all of these stories that just didn't mesh, and so uh, there could have been uh, much better, but much better follow-up by uh, by certainly the New York Times. Uh, but it's a national story when you get into uh, the uh, effort to, to uh, keep him in Congress. You know, if I were the Republican Party, I'd I'd be I certainly wouldn't want to lose that seat. Uh, but at the same time, it's just been nothing but a headache because it conjures up all of the negative sorts of things that. Uh, some of us feel about the Trump administration, which is, you know, just oh, yeah. not having a close relationship to the truth. Yeah, and I, I just couldn't believe, of course, he has uh, um, temporarily at least um, is not going to his committee, has stepped off of his committees. You know, I, I could not f help but find it ironic that uh, one of the committees he was appointed to was the science committee, which I sit there and look at it. Wait a minute. The party of fake science has a fake congressman on the committee. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. To me, it just showed utter disrespect uh, on the GOP's part when it came to uh, their views of uh, science. 
um, if they don't like the quality of the science, they need to get people who are quality people who can talk about it. And guess what? The GOP has those people. George Santos is not one of those. Um, I mean, he can't even tell basic truths. He doesn't know basic facts from what I, I, uh, we can tell. It was To me, the whole handling has been embarrassing. It shows you that politics is way more important than the voters because of how narrow that, that hold is on the House. Um, that's all they care about is that hold on the House. We saw the un- really unprecedented, uh, historically, at least in the modern era, uh, trying to get uh, a new speaker. I mean, that was just that was just horrific. That entire experience. Um, yeah. Okay, this problem's not going away. What is your thoughts about that? You know, what should be done? Because the reality is, is revenues are only shrinking. The whole technology industry, all the companies that make a living off of ads, they they, they have. Those companies alone have fired tens of thousands of employees just in the last couple of months. Revenue is in a really difficult spot. So what do we? What do they do? What is something creative they can do to maybe maybe help uh, uh, put put this in a different direction? Well, there there's a number of experiments going on, and uh, you know I think you and I, despite our political differences, would probably agree on this. Um, there are some efforts here in California to uh, pump some uh, money into uh, local journalism. Uh, University of California, Berkeley has uh, a project um, where uh, they're trying to, uh, in essence, uh, help uh, some smaller communities have some kind of online uh, uh, news function. Uh, and uh, But it gets real complicated because the University of California, Berkeley, is part of the, you know, it's a state university. And so, in essence, you're pumping government money into uh, building uh, journalistic institutions. And, uh, you know, that's that's like the putting the fox in the chicken coop and my my particular world view because it's kind of hard to be a you know the fourth estate and a state and a watchdog on government if in fact some of your funding comes from it uh and so yeah, yeah. Uh, some of those experiments uh, make me a little bit nervous but um i think saving local journalism is of paramount importance and uh uh the way that there may be different ways of doing that but i i can't help but look at the history of uh how the newspaper industry dealt with the uh uh, uh, what happened on the internet and how uh, that just sucked away all those uh, uh, sucked away all that advertising revenue and if they had been more strategic back in the 70s and the 80s they could have done a number of things uh, strategically if they had taken the internet uh, threat seriously uh, I had a chance to work with some folks at the uh, Copley uh, newspaper uh, chain uh, which was headquartered here in San Diego uh, and the former owners of the Union Tribune, and uh, I remember having a conversation with one of their senior editors when we were doing a little experiment with broadband uh, cable distribution of an Internet service. This was back in 1982-83, and I remember the editor telling me, he says, you know, these guys will never be able to compete with us, and he's basically talking about Internet services. He says, you know, we got the printing presses, and we got 
got the distribution system, and 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 there's just no way this this this, this Mickey Mouse thing on a, a t- on a TV screen is going to uh, threaten our business model. And I, it just you know you can't be any more wrong than that. And uh, I think that's tragic because they were acting like they were a utility. You know that we're going to make money no matter what, and didn't recognize uh, the freight train that was uh, barreling down the track at them. Well, now that we're in that situation, how do we get out of it? Uh, and um, I, if I had the answer to that, I'd, uh, I think I'd be a very wealthy publisher. But I, I really don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I think it's a tough one. I think a, a focus on citizenry, uh, doing journalism, and maybe providing programs that help citizens to be uh, able to be good conveyors of information. And people go, "What? That's the responsibility of journalists, really? Have you seen how journalists cover the news? And there is no longer objective, objective news. Maybe we can teach people who just want to get information out there to do that. I don't know. You know, I think of uh, websites like Nextdoor, which uh, is a phenomenal uh, website for finding out what's going on in your neighborhood. Maybe yeah. having workshops to help train people to do some of that. But there's an investigative element. You, you of all people, know this. You know, layers of research that has to be done, verification, what are the right questions to ask. You know, there is no simple solution. So, but we need to get creative in it. And what you're pointing out uh, about them, uh, the media dropping the ball, I mean, that's the history of all field industries. You know, I think about the railroad industry. Why isn't there a Southern Pacific Airlines? Yeah, right. It would exactly. seem like he would have been the first ones to have moved into that space. Uh, you know, and I, I look at what's going on with Google now, and it's, it's very similar to uh, the railroad industry when they look at uh, the challenge from AI and, and J- chat GPT. I, I look at that and it's like, I think it may be too little too late now for Google. They could become inconsequential. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it really is important to be the head ahead of the industry rather than uh, trying to uh, catch up with it. All right, David Dozer, always love having you on the program. We've got a, just a, about 30 seconds left. Final thoughts from you. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's good to be back, and I do think this is an important topic, and I think you're on to something there with uh, – citizen journalists uh, maybe having some, uh, uh, you know, simple workshops to help them do a better job of that. Yeah, because we need something. This is ridiculous. Good to talk to you, sir. Look forward. We'll figure out our next topic between now and next month. Uh, But so glad to have you back. You've been greatly missed. I am Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business.